Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. moment, God, let these words that we have declared to you not be lyrics in a song, but let these words that we have declared to you be the posture of our heart, that this afternoon, God, you have places you want us to go, things that you're calling us to do, people to say hello to, and people to say goodbye to. And in order for that to happen, we first must give ourselves to you, God. And as we are in this moment, God, we pray that there would be such a clear sense that you are here today with us, God. We cannot merely hear from men, but we must have a move of God. And throughout the week, Lord, we have been burdened. And there is so much chaos in this world. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are our inner government. You change us and you translate us, God. And so today, today, since we're yours, change us again. Change us again, God. Change us again, God. We're not where we want to be, God. Change us again, God give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be able to come here as school gets ready to start back up and just be able to praise God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here for your very first time, we we pray that um, you would know that we are continuing on in a series This is a series really through the book of Jonah. Jonah, an incredible book and an incredible story. But in the first part of Jonah, you see Jonah being called by God. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was an evil city. And so Jonah decided that he did not want to follow that call. Chapter 2, Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish. And in that fish, Jonah would cry out to God. And in his prayer, we would see Jonah discovers grace. And then in the third chapter here, we see Jonah fulfills his calling. He actually does what God calls him to do. What we said last week, what we said the week before, and what we will say this week again. Jonah had a calling on his life. You, you have a calling on your life. Jonah had an assignment. His assignment was to go to the Ninevites. But you have an assignment. You have a specific call that God has for your life. And there is a general call that we all have. That general call was the same that Jonah had. The calling, the assignment, was to be able to declare and proclaim God's character in the world. Another way of putting that is glorifying him, helping people to see who God really is. That is your assignment. 
And that is your calling. And today we are going to look in detail what it looked like for Jonah and what it will look like for us. You know, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not really sure where you're at with the Lord, or even if you just consider yourself spiritual, I wonder if you have a cause. Is there something that matters? Is there something that you pound the table and say must happen? Is there something bigger than yourself that you're living for? Is there something bigger than yourself that you would die for? Is there something bigger than you that will take maybe your whole life to accomplish and you may not accomplish it in your lifetime? Is there something so transcendent on your life that it wakes you up and you know it must happen? Or are you living for the rent? <laughs> are you living for a vacation? Are you living to be a success? Is the pinnacle of your life to be at the top of your industry? Is that your life? What is your life? Why are you here? Why? Why? And calling and purpose get to the very core why of your life. Gets beyond your income. Gets beyond your rent. Gets beyond the very situation you're in now. And it's transcendent. And it's big. And you have a calling. You have an assignment. And we discover our assignment from our creator through his word and through being obedient to him. You know, when being in seminary, oftentimes you see people get out or you see people get out of grad school, or you see people get out of college, and man, they're ready to change the world, aren't they? Oh, they got a cape on their back? Yeah, they're gonna change the world because they read them books and they paid that bill, and we're gonna change the world today. Yeah, and you get out of college, boom, and you come into New York City, I'm like, I'm gonna change everything. And you want, to, you, you, you want to change things, and, there's, and you're driven to change things. But then you meet that person on your job that's been there for 30 years, and they're cynical. And they're like, shoot, you knew, huh? All right. All right. All right, keep living. You know, you meet that person because they're cynical. And if we're honest, if we were to look at the election, if we were to look at our local government, there's a lot of reason to be cynical. We have good reason to not think that things can change. Cynicism presumes that things really can't change. And it's interesting, who could believe that there could be transformation of all people that could believe there could be transformation. Who could it be? Well, it's the Christian. And the reason why the Christian believes wholeheartedly in transformation really is for two reasons. One, and first and foremost, we believe we have a king and we believe we have a kingdom. 
This kingdom, though, is not of this world. And in this kingdom, there's a government, and the government works right. Oh, man, we have a king in this government, this kingdom. And this king wasn't elected. He was crucified. And so that means that he is someone we know cares for the people. And he has already demonstrated his love. And in that kingdom, things always work right. I mean, the streets are paved with gold. There's no sin. Things are working right. The Bible says there's righteousness, joy, and peace in this kingdom. And when you give your life to the Lord, when you give your life to the king, you become a part of that kingdom. And so you are in that kingdom, but you are still here on earth where things are not like the kingdom. And so because you are in the kingdom, but in this world, God gives you a kingdom agenda, a kingdom program, a way of living that demonstrates the kingdom. Our lives are like trailers of a movie where we see just a little bit, but we know there's something so much better there for us. Oh, that's our life. And so we believe in transformation because we know one day things will get better. We are people of hope. And the way that God transforms a city is he first transforms a man. He transforms a woman. If he wants to take Nineveh, if he wants to seize Nineveh, first thing he'll do is seize Jonah's heart. And he'll capture his heart. And he'll have him singing songs like, have all of me. And he'll put you in a position where you'll do what he says to do because you know he loves you. And you know his grace And his mercy endures. And you want to share that with the world. And so he seizes a man. He transforms a man to transform the city. And that is his way. And we aren't cynical. We aren't cynical because we know people are falling. We know there's something better. And so God has an army. And no matter if he is sending someone into Nineveh, God can have an army of one. And he sends an army of one in. And they go in with a flag. And on this flag is a blood-stained banner of Christ. And it's Jesus, and we represent his name. Jonah. Jonah goes into this city. Nineveh, as I spoke of before and I will speak of later on, is such an evil city. But it was... The amazing thing about the story was that it was impenetrable. You couldn't get into this city. It'll say later that it took him three days' journey to go through. And what that's saying is there was no superpower like Nineveh. You don't walk up into Nineveh. You ain't going to walk up into Nineveh changing Nineveh. No, Nineveh changes you. And so how dare he think he can change Nineveh, unless God is on his side. And he walks into Nineveh. He's been spit out of this fish. And now it's time. It's time to do what God told him to do, what he ran from before. It's time. It's time. And now it's time to walk into this evil city. And Jonah after coming out of this fish, is walking, walking, walking. The scripture says of Jonah, 
chapter 3, it says that then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, so much could be said about that passage, but I want to stay on the first part. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. (laughs) A second time. If you look in the first chapter, the Lord told him the same thing, but he didn't do it. And God told him again. And in between chapter 1 and chapter 3 is God's grace. God came back to the same person to do the job. God's ways are not like our ways. When you want to do the job, you get the best. And when someone fails, they're disposable. This is the purpose of an interview, praise God. That's why you do a a 90-day eval. Say, it's not working out, boo-boo. It's time to go. No, he, in, in our economy, we check back in to see your performance. But God looks at the heart. A second time. A second time. Good Lord. Aren't there other prophets? There are other people? I mean, couldn't God have figured out a different way? Why does he go to Jonah a second time? Well, Part of God's character is to use failure. And it's really a part of the way that you see him operating throughout all the scriptures. When you look at, there's a guy in the Bible named Peter. You should read about him. He's a nut. He's crazy. He's a fool. He's always saying the wrong thing all the time at the wrong time, all the time. Peter. He's always doing that. And he's one of the guys that fails you know what I'm talking about? When you say you're going to you know, like, do something, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do something. Like when Christ was going to be crucified, Peter was like, yo, when it goes down, I'm right there. When it goes down, I'm right there. Right there. Me and you. Jesus is getting beat down. A little girl came up to him like, you know Jesus? He was like, I don't even know that dude. I don't even know who. G, G how you say it? I mean, he didn't even know. He's like, I don't even know him. I don't know him. And he says it three times. So God gave him three chances. And he said no three times. And the rooster crows. And I think Jesus was probably getting beat down just looking at him like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Peter. Peter, such a big failure. Why does God say a second time? Why does God come back to him a second time. I, wanna, I want you to hear this because so many of you right now are in the crucible of a trial right now, and you do not have an eternal perspective about the trial that you're in. So I want you to understand this. Failures make you useful to God because they humble you. Because in the current, you're, you were born, you were born sinful and selfish and self-centered. 
And there's, there's a very good chance, even when you say, I'm doing this in God's name, you still kind of wave the flag of self-righteousness. So I'm telling you right now, right now in your life, God is giving you a trial to humble you so that you would not think of yourself higher than you ought to think, but you would think of yourself with sober judgment. It is through humility that God is able to use you. Now, I want to say this, and this is so very important. We're going to move on and talk more, but I just think it's really important to point this out. When you suffer and when you have trial, you will either become a servant of God and you will come back to him again. Notice the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He responded and he goes. You will either become a servant or you will become even more self-absorbed. You will become a servant or you will become more self-absorbed, but you will not stay the same. Suffering will not leave you where you are. You will either move closer to Christ and want to be in his presence and do what he says, or you will be bitter, angry, and the word of the Lord can come to you eight times. And you must allow trial to take you down a notch. That's why he goes a second and third time. That's why he comes back to people who have failed. <laughs> um, we did an interview with a magazine, you know, because we in Poe. And, you know, they're like, James, how did you do this? You came into the city, and you didn't know anybody, did you? I said, I, I didn't. And look, people are coming to the Lord. I, I, that's true. How did this happen? You know, I'm like, God, 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 God. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I'm doing what everybody else would do. But then there came a point where we're in the conversation, they're interviewing me, and they're like, man, you just, God has just made you for this. I'm like, yeah, kind of, yeah. And then they started to say, well, it seems like you just have always had this ability. I was like, I don't think you understand. I thought my life was going to end just in failure. A whole, my, the majority of my 30s, people looked at me as not being successful at all. I learned how to navigate failure. <laughs> I learned what it was like in the valley. And I know good and well, I have no business being here. And so when you interview me, I appreciate it, but I know I'm on God's watch. I know I'm doing this from God's power. What, what I'm saying is failure has made me confident, not in myself, but confident in his plan. I am certain it's him. I am certain it's him. I am certain it's him. And he has taught me through failure. And he is teaching you through failure right now. If you'll listen. He is teaching you through trial right now. If you'll listen. If you come back to him. And so, Jonah, if you want to be called by God, you want to do great things for God. The person says, I want to do great things for God. You just got to get ready for boot camp, boo-boo. The suffering will always come before the glory. Always. You believe that. You put that, put that down. Write that down. You taking notes? Write that down. You can guarantee you want the glory. You're looking at everybody else's platform. You see, we want what people want, but we're not willing to go through what they went through to get it. All right, I'm supposed to be preaching on something else. Jonah. 
Verse 3. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah goes into the city. Jonah goes. Jonah began to go into the city. Can you imagine what this is like? Can you imagine what it was like for Jonah walking in? Now, mind you, Jonah didn't want to go. So now he's going, and he's only going, and it said earlier, according to the word of the Lord. So he's only doing this because God told him to do it. You think he's walking in like, man, I'm going to go into the city. I'm going to say, yo, God told me this, and everything's going to change. You think that's what he's like? Or do you think he's nervous? Do you think it took courage for him to walk up to that city? Do you think he was pushing through his fears? Do you think he was drawing only his confidence from God? He walks up to Nineveh, and he's looking, and I'm sure he was at the gate. I'm sure there's a moment where he's at the gate. He's like, oh, God. Oh, God, how am I here? I don't want to do this. This is too much for me. And I know he was overwhelmed, but God, in the midst of that, gave him a message to say, And so he cries out, the Bible says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Maybe he said it more than once. Yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Over and over and over and over and over again. And do you think if that's the message that God gave him, do you think he wanted to tell these murderers that? Do you think he was concerned and overwhelmed? Of course he was. Of course, even the great stories of the Bible were filled with men who were doing great things with trepidation and fear. But they pushed through their fears with the courage that God gave them. So Jonah, he announces this great, great message. This is a great message because it had a great outcome, but it ain't really a great message. You know what I'm saying? No introduction and closing. You know what I'm saying? This is really not that hot. I mean, let's just be honest with you. We go to the Psalms and get some really better stories and like more eloquence, but maybe it wasn't about the words. Maybe it wasn't his eloquence. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't Jonah at all. Maybe, just maybe, God was going to speak through Jonah. And maybe it wasn't about the words at all. Look in the next verse. And the people of Nineveh, what's that say? They did what? They believed Jonah. Hold up. The people of Nineveh believed Jonah? The people of Nineveh believed God, but I thought Jonah was talking. I thought Jonah was the one that was using words. How is it they heard Jonah's words but heard God's voice at the same time? Part of the reason why we have a hard time understanding that God wants us to be his mouthpiece is because we put our name there. They believed James. Well, they're not going to believe me. I got to work. I got to be funny. I got to be funny today. I got, this story's not good enough. I got to make up a better story. Because I want them to believe James. 
But the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. Can you believe that? He walked in there and they started having their eyes get wide open. And he's walking around saying, yet 40 days. And people were like, this is God. This isn't just a man speaking. Oh, there's so much more happening here. And there is no way that Jonah could have orchestrated the preparation of their hearts. God, through his cosmic wonder and supernatural tapestry, his story had already orchestrated. The, 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 the historians say there were like earthquakes and all these other things that happened in the city of Nineveh. In other words, Nineveh was already prepared for the messenger they just needed a messenger. They were ready for the message. They just needed someone to say it. If it wasn't going to be in Jonah, if the power wasn't going to come from Jonah, then Jonah just needed to be faithful. <laughs> this week, you know, oftentimes when I'm preparing a message, God will give me encounters during the week that will support the message or highlight something in the message. And this week, it was kind of cool. Um, I met with uh, some people, and they were like, you know, Pastor, um, I, when you said this, I really felt like God was talking to me. I was like, oh, I appreciate that. Praise God. That's good. Then I got a text message. Hey, when you said this, I really felt like God was saying this. Now, I, I don't get this every week, so it felt really good. But they were like, you know, when you said this. And then I met, I met with somebody else, and they were like, yo, man, I really feel like God was speaking. So then I had a counseling appointment, and at the end of the counseling appointment, the people were like, hey, listen, that was God. No, 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 that was God. And I was like, man, okay, that's deep. What is it? I, is, is there something I do? Uh, you know what? I'm gifted. I can talk. That's what it is. But I was like, what is it? Well, maybe it's not gifting. And I thought, well, is there anything I do or I don't know? And the only thing I've whittled it down to is this. I ask God all the time to speak through me. Like, I ask. I'm like, Lord, I'm about to preach, and I need these people to hear from you, so I need you now, desperately, bad, right now. Thank you, please, right now. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, pray that God may open a door for the word. So he believed his prayers created opportunity. Now, let me just say this. I just want to say this. I just need to say this. I realize we're a new church. I realize we're all over the map spiritually. I realize you're in different industries and you don't want to be the dude proselytizing. You don't want to be like the people you've seen. You don't want to bother people with Jesus. You don't want to always have to talk about the Lord. You don't want to always be the one that says, Brent, come on to church. You don't want to be the always the one that kind of bothers people for the Lord. You don't want to be that guy. And so sometimes we don't want to witness because we really don't want to overwhelm people. I get that. But here's a question. Are you praying about it? Like, uh, what I'm asking you is, do you want to be used? I'm just, I'm just saying, are we at the, I'm at, I'm at the place with you where I realize I like people too. I'm not, I, like when I get in a cab, I'm not, I'm not always like, hey, make a left. Do you know the Lord? Uh, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not that dude, okay? Let's just be honest. Can we be honest? I'm not that guy. So I get it. I get it. We're not witnessing 24-7 today, but I want to be used. And I'm just, I'm just asking you, do you want to be used? 
Do you want to make an impact? Do you want to make a difference? And if that is you, just ask. Start to ask. I'm not seeing a difference. Ask some more. Ask. Ask. I am not an evangelist, but I am hungry for opportunity. I'm hungry for opportunity. Remember in school? Remember you had the answer, but the teacher wasn't calling you? What'd you do? Why, why did we do that? Were we, what were we going through? Well, we, I know, I know, I know. Pick me. Pick me. Choose me. I, I want the opportunity. So before we start talking about making great strides and making a big impact for the Lord, maybe we just start to just deep down in your heart, do you hunger for God to use you? Do you want to be his mouthpiece at your job? I understand. I get it. I get it. But I challenge you in the midst of all your prayers about rent and life and challenge, just add, just add one more prayer. God, use me. You know, when you were praying for your friend, well, use me to say something. When cre- things are crazy at the job, use me to change something. In other words, use me. Don't just use my prayers. Use me, all of me, because I want to be used. It's not a mystery. Well, what is the response from this eight-word message? Scriptures say that they called a fast, and there was sackcloth. Oh, man, it was was wide-sweeping repentance. Sackcloth was this very dull-looking material that only people in poverty or slaves used to wear. And so they put it on animals, and they put it on people that said they were, they were least to greatest, meaning that little kids were running around with sackcloth and kings had sackcloth on. Everybody changed because they felt the God of heaven and earth was doing something. And the whole city transformed because they felt the judgment of God was near. The king, the king ended up making a decree, and this was his decree. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Jonah was going into an evil city where the people committed violent tactics. In other words, violence was what the city was known for. We talked earlier of how the people, when they would take out another city, they would take the men and they would peel their skin off like you would take the orange peel off of an orange and they would take all their skin off, put them in the desert, cut their heads off and then take those heads and make a pyramid in front of the city to show that they dominate and that they are the most powerful entity in the world. But to be clear, Nineveh 
was not the only violent kingdom. In fact, all superpowers up until that point and even after were violent. They were marked by violence. Greece, Rome, Babylon, violent. No, I mean violent, like when someone had a a female baby, they would throw the baby over a cliff. The poor, no one cared about the poor. The poor were only worth dying. Gladiators would fight to the death, and the people would cheer. Nothing but violence. Prisoners would be fed to lions. Violence. Why all the violence? The reason why there was great violence was because of their cosmic beliefs. You see, this society and the other societies were what you would call polytheistic. They believed in many gods. And though, though they believed in many gods, they believed that those gods were in many ways in conflict with one another. And so even in the cosmic world, there was a war. And so no one was right. No one was righteous. No one had law. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the philosophers and the theologians and the sociologists would call it pluralistic relativism, meaning do what you see is right, and the one that is the strongest will dominate. And so because you become the most powerful, you almost have the right to oppress. Oppression was the byproduct of pluralistic relativism. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. And if you had the power, then your right was the one that people submitted to. Why so violent? Why so violent? Jonah comes in. What did Jonah do? Jonah said, this must stop because of God. And it was because he said, God has a problem with this. The people were changed. You see, the belief system needed to be submitted to a higher belief, a grander belief. We live in a world now where we want to see righteousness happen. We want violence to stop. We want music to make women be beautiful. We want young boys to value the life of other young boys. We want police to not deal with a person as if they're merely in their way. But we want you to deal with them as if they were a person, as if they could look like you, as if their life mattered. And we are yelling, violence must stop. Violence needs to stop. 
But our problem is that we are not saying why. Why should the violence stop? Why? And the world looks at us, it looks at the church, and we need to be involved with the things that are going on in the community, absolutely. We need to be involved with demonstrations. We need to picket. We need to have hashtags. We need to be involved in that. But we need to declare God's name on it. We need to put God in it. And in many ways, we leave God out so we could fit in. And I get it. I get it because it brings people down sometimes. But understand this. Whenever you don't put someone's name on what is theirs, it's called plagiarism, right? And this is crazy. I believe, I believe, we, I believe we, we try to demonstrate God's ways without proclaiming his name. You see, when you demonstrate God's ways but you don't have a proclamation of his name, it's spiritual plagiarism. You basically are saying, I'm righteous. Oh, I think kids need food. Oh, I think violence needs to stop. Oh, I think this is a very good social program. That's what I think. Oh, because my mama raised me right. And what we are really missing is his name. Because righteousness either will come from self or it will come from outside of you. Maybe there is an agenda. Maybe there is a plan that is higher than us. We don't really have a good picture of history. You think about the civil rights movement. Now, the civil rights movement, you talk about police brutality. We talk about we catching people on iPhones. They didn't have to catch you. They weren't catching the police. The police were like posing. No, no. The police at that time had no need to worry about law. The laws were always in their favor. What changed? Was it that Martin Luther King was eloquent? I think we've created a narrative that turns into him being nonviolent and eloquent. But here's the truth. He was nonviolent because of Jesus. He wasn't nonviolent because it was a good idea. No, he was obedient to Matthew 5, turn the other cheek. He wasn't being strategic, he was being obedient. The civil rights movement was a church movement. It was a church movement. It was the people of God unashamed unashamed. And when you look at, you know, these pictures of what the police could do to a young boy, you look at those things, and it frustrated them there, and it frustrates us now. And we think because we have some more freedom, because now we have social media and we can make a video Maybe things will change because we have more freedom than then. But we have to remember the name that these things happened in. We have to remember how social change even happened. It's because of the name of the Lord. 
the pinnacle speech, I have a dream. The speech that is always getting replayed every January. The speech that's always getting reminded. And that, in fact, that is the number one speech people will look to to say, this is how you communicate when things are not going the right way. But if you look here, I think we have it up on the screen. Martin Luther King said, we cannot be satisfied so long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote. And the Negro in New York believes he has nothing to which to vote for. Ha! Sounds very normal. Sounds like I've heard that before, like yesterday. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Oh, Martin, that was so eloquent. I like the way you did that mighty stream thing. That was amazing the way you put that together. That wasn't Martin Luther King. That was Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verse 24 says, but let justice roll down. You see the imagery? Roll down. Roll down justice from a judge, a righteous judge who's on a throne, who is a king and has a kingdom. Let it roll down. Let it roll down. And the imagery he gave was like, a stream of an ever-flowing stream of water. Let it roll down. No, this wasn't eloquence. This wasn't strategy. This was obedience. He said, these things aren't right because I have been made in the image of God and she has been made in the image of God. And all I'm trying to tell you is we should witness on our jobs and tell people of who God is and tell of his glory and tell of his mercy and do all good things. And there's a very good chance that you've lived your life in such a way where you just do good things for people and you move cars and you you do great things and you open doors and you do great things. But I wonder, do you put his name on your works? Do you proclaim his name, his name, his, his word. Righteousness will either come from you or it will come from above. One day, two boys got into it on the playground. The boy, bow, hits the other boy out of nowhere. They were just playing around, but he decides to hit him. Then he gets on him and just keeps hitting him. Bow, bow, bow. The boy gets up, says, you can't do that. Blood streaming down his lip. The bigger boy says, says who? And he says, oh. Then he goes and gets his brother. And his brother comes out. And he goes, what you doing? You can't beat people up. He says, says who? And he says, I'm going to get my daddy. And he goes and gets his father. His father comes in and says, what's going on here? Did you hit my son? He says, yes. He says, you can't do that. He says, says who? Well, then he calls the police and the police come and the police get him. And they say, young man, you're coming with us. And they put him in the cruiser and they go down. And he says, I don't care what you have to say. And he goes into the cell and they tell him to do things. And all the time he says, says who? Says who? Says who? And then they say, today's your day, son. 
and they bring him out and they bring him before the judge. And he stands before the judge, puts his head down and barely looks at him. And the judge said, young man, I've looked at what you've done and unfortunately, I'm going to give you a month in juvenile. And the boy looks up and says, ha! Says who? And the judge said, says me. I say so. You have been able to get beyond all of them. But son, I'm the judge. And today is your judgment. Says me. Says me. I say so. And you are condemned. scriptures in the, in the book of John read it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I was doing a a gospel presentation at an elderly home. And I thought, these older people are about to love me. And I'm, I go in there and I'm like, hey, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And there, it was just cold. And there was a distance and I couldn't figure it out. And I went and talked to my pastor and I said, why, why are they like this? He said, son, they're getting ready to meet their maker and they're not ready. And today, we are the people that say, hey, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but there is a judge. And there is a judgment, but there is hope. And there is someone who takes the penalty for you and is condemned for you. I don't mean to bother you, but there is a judge. And there is a judgment. And there is righteousness. And today, today, we have been called to be those agents of change who say there is hope in this world, but it is only in Jesus who takes the penalty for our sin. And you say, I'm afraid. And I don't like talking about it. And I'm fearful. But all of your friends right now, when they hear of God, they blow them off. They say, says who? Means nothing. And your only hope is that God will have prepared their hearts. And today I want to charge you to tell the full story. The full story of God the Father and God the judge. 
It is not enough to only talk about him being a great father, but not admitting that one day there is a penalty. The only way the cross makes sense is if there is a penalty. And if your sin today has not been taken care of by Jesus, then the judgment of God will be on your life. And I say today, there is hope for you to respond to his call. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of telling and declaring the message of God, the righteousness of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. We are going to have a time of prayer, but I pray that you would take this moment and you would ask, God, am I even asking you to be used? Thank God that he came into my courtroom and I was saying, says who? And he says, I'd stop him. I'll take the penalty. I'll take the penalty on his behalf. That is the work of Christ. I wonder, I wonder if you want to tell that story. Pray with me. God, the world right now pushes you aside, but one day they won't be able to push you aside. One day they will see you for who you are. And they have pushed past your Bible and they have pushed past the church. And maybe I am there next to someone on a job. Lord, help me to be open to declare your name. God, do not let me live in fear, but let me declare your name. There is a God. There is a God. There is one God. And he has one son. And he has created one way to righteousness. And that is through that one cross. And that one cross is for this whole world. And this whole world will know through us, through your people. And I pray your people would allow the word of God to come to them a second time. Let the word come to them a second time. And let us declare your name, your name, and your righteousness. We ask this in Christ's name we pray. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.